Welcome everybody to uh, Summit Ridge Community Church. Everybody that's here, everybody online, uh, we welcome you. So, how many people like rain? Wow. Well, there's a lot of happy people here today. <laughs> I don't know about your house, but our house has been raining every single day. I tell people we have a lawn three months out of the year, uh, and we can't mow it right now because it's always wet and it's about knee high. So you know it's a lot when you start with the weed whacker before the mower, you know, to get to the lawn. Well, all of you happy rain types, you need to, uh, when you're out dancing in the rain, pray for all of us human barometers that can feel every time the weather goes up or down. Um, depending on whether it's going up or down, I can tell you because I know which joint hurts. Um, I tell young people, I said, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. Uh, I've broken so many bones that every time the weather does this kind of stuff, it's just, I like the spring and the fall when it's just cruising, you know, the, t- the barometric pressure just kind of hangs. That's, that's my favorite time. So anyway, enough complaints about the weather. My wife loves the rain, so I, uh, we have that love-hate relationship every time we look out the window and watch. The, I like the lightning myself. I, I kind of think that's really cool. Uh, but uh, I could do without the rain. Anyway, so as you know, we're doing a series on the identity in Christ, and uh, today's message is, I am holy and blameless. Now, I want to tell you, um, this is a concept that I have really struggled with. Um, As you know, um, I started life as a Catholic, and um, as a Catholic, um, you know, we had this, this I don't know what you call it, but it, but it, but it, uh, they did not make you feel holy and blameless. Let's put it that way. I did not, that was not my sense of identity in Catholicism. And, um, I really never got into that whole confession and repentance thing, you know, where you'd go on Saturday and you'd tell the priest enough stuff for him to let you go and he'd give you, we used to make stuff up just because we knew, you know, what it took to get out. And so, and then they would tell you, you know, go say so many of these, and then you could take communion on Sunday. And it really never made sense to me. It was just never really got there for me. And the reality was I wasn't a Christian. You know, I didn't know the Lord. And so, of course, it didn't make any sense to me. You know, the, the whole procedure was like, eh. I didn't feel conviction and repentance because I didn't feel conviction. And if you don't know Jesus, you don't know the Holy Spirit, you're not going to feel conviction. So don't expect it to work. And it's interesting because, you know, as you know, I came to the Lord late in life. I was 33. And, um, and I thought to myself, you know, how long are the world that I, that I just did the world? I did everything that the world did. You know, and so when I became a Christian, that whole concept of being holy and blameless, I just, I still struggle with it. Um, and I think it comes down to me forgiving me more than anything else. You know, because I, I, can, I can hear that God's forgiven me, and he sees me as holy and blameless, but it doesn't resonate. I lived here, and I know what I did. Um, and so it's, it's something I really struggle with. And, and we have to be aware that's the world we live in. When we have conversations with people that disagree with what God teaches, if they don't know the Lord, that's to be expected. Right? They're not going to believe what the Lord teaches, because they don't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So it's really important that we don't argue with them, but we try to share what we believe 
Treat them with love and compassion. But we're going to talk more about that a little bit later. So remember last week, or not week before last actually, uh, we looked at Ephesians 1.3, right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So we saw that we are to bless God because God has blessed us. Um, And to bless God, we have to understand who he is, which was tough, right? Because we have to wrap our head around the idea that God is our God, but he was also the God of Jesus Christ. And God is, is our father, but he's also the father of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are heirs of a kingdom, and a kingdom that is just more than we can possibly imagine in our mind, the kingdom that we are heirs of. Um, and so we need to appreciate God for all that he has done for us. And we saw that our blessings exist now. We don't have to wait for heaven to have our blessings, right? Our blessings are eternal. You have them from the moment you know him for the rest of your eternity. Um, and those blessings are true and real. They're things that you can put your arms around, that you can embrace, that you can live through. And they belong to us personally. They're my blessings. Yet we are all blessed as believers, but we are blessed individually. We have that relationship with the Father who blesses us individually. And so it's really important that you spend time with him um, and, and listen to him um, the, uh, I think as a father, personally, the, the, the greatest days of my life is when my children come to me and they want to talk to me about something that they're struggling with, right? Well, that's what God the Father is the ultimate father that way, right? He wants you to bring things to him that you are struggling with. All right, so today we're going to look at verse 4. So, yeah, so we put together three messages on three sentences. Um, so rich is the word, Right? All right, so verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. So verse 4 is a continuation, really, of verse 3. And so if we attach the end of verse 3 to the beginning of verse 4, you actually get this sentence, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Really, that's that whole concept right there, put it together. So the blessings that we have came to us very similarly the way that we've gotten our salvation. It's the same process. So it begs the question, how did our blessings come to us? So the verse teaches us that our Again, our blessings came to us the same way our salvation did, and that's by the grace of God. Uh, We didn't do anything to earn our salvation, and we did nothing to earn our blessings. Uh, Before the world existed, God had decided that he would bless us. And this is the part that always blows my mind, because he knew what was going to happen. This was no big surprise. He knew his son would have to die on a cross for mankind, yet he did it anyway. He still moved forward and created man, even knowing the pain that it would cause. So I think it's pretty amazing. I think any of us would say, well, this was just going to happen. You're like, I'm out. <laughs> no thanks. So again, he chose us because he chose to choose us. There was nothing about us 
that made us particularly worthy of being chosen. Um, and Ezekiel reminds the house of Israel over and over that that's the way God acts. God does what he does, and they have nothing that qualified them for what he did. Ezekiel 36.22 says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, This is what the Lord God says. It is not for your sake, house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. Again, he does what he does for his own holiness and glory and honor, not for us. And everything he does is by choice, and we're to bless him and praise him for it. So how did our blessings come to us? Only by the love and grace of God. So the second question, what does it mean to be holy and blameless before God? Now this one's tough, because it's really kind of a two-part thing. There's the holy and blameless as seen and as we are. I personally, when I came to the Lord, I was kind of hoping that all my sinful natures would just go away. And I'd be, woohoo, white as snow, and life would be good, and that's not what happened. Um, but I'm like, I'm holy and blameless. Why do I still struggle? And of course, as I read more, and, and I realized Paul, the apostle of apostles, had the same problem. Oh, whew, glad it wasn't just me. So the second half of verse 4 reads that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. So we are to be seen holy and blameless before God. So holiness describes our position before God, whereas blameless describes our condition before God. So what does it mean? Let's break it down. So first, what does it mean to be holy? Well, of course, I went to my trusted source, my Merriam-Webster dictionary, and I said, so, what does it mean to be holy? So the first definition I found was exalted and worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. So we look at Psalm 99.9, it says, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. So I looked at that definition and said, mm, yeah, that's not the one he's talking about. I'm certainly not that. So let's go to the next definition. It said, devoted entirely to the deity or the work of a deity. As in Psalm 5, 7, it says, but as for me, by your abundant graciousness, I will enter your house at your holy temple. I will bow in reverence to you. Okay, so the temple's holy. What's a building? I'm not a building. That doesn't work too well. But we'll see that we actually are a temple. Not made of concrete, thank you. Although there's days it feels like it. Um, so what does it mean to be holy? Well, the Bible treats holy differently than the dictionary. And the, in this case, it carries the concept of to be set aside for God. So we are holy before God because we are set aside for God. It defines our position before God. Uh, and so as believers, we have been set aside to be God's people. Right? We belong to God. And so because we are God's people, we are declared holy because that position of being chosen. 
First Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which you are yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So you see, we've got this struggle. Right? We are to be holy. We are to be obedient. We are to be, our behavior is to be holy, and yet we're still human. We are still struggling with that. Right? But I think the most important part of this is an awareness of our position and our desire to be holy. Right? A striving for holiness. I can tell you, when I first came to the Lord, there were some real easy things that had to go away. It was like I came home from church and told Don, I said, I accepted the Lord today. And I knew immediately there were things that had to change. Um, some people I couldn't hang out with anymore, places I couldn't go, things I couldn't do. It was clear. But since then, there's been a lot of things that I've kind of come up with that I realize I can't do those things either, or can't think those things, or can't say those things. Um, and it's a process. Striving toward holiness. So we're holy really in two ways. We're holy because God set us apart as his people and we are holy in as much as we conform to the behaviors that God wants from his people. So one is a state of being, the other is a process. And that's kind of hard to put in your mind, right? So what does it mean to be holy? God is the perfect model for holiness. We are declared holy and we should strive for holiness. So... Next one. What does it mean to be blameless? Now, this one for me is a really tough one, right? So blameless describes our condition before God. So once again, went to the trusty dictionary, looked it up. Blameless is used to describe someone who hasn't done anything wrong. They haven't done anything to be blamed for. To blame someone for something is to accuse them of having caused it or to hold them responsible for it. So, blameless describes someone who has lived a perfect, upright life. Well, that's not me. <laughs> Anybody that knows me knows that. Um, and I really struggled with this first when I first became an elder and, and later as I, as I um, looked at being a pastor because 1 Timothy 3.2 says that a bishop, and can be translated as elder, uh, then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and able to teach. Now, most of those I don't have an issue with. I, I still can't imagine why someone would want more than one wife. Why have more than one woman mad at you at a time? Um, but anyway, but there's that word, blameless. And I can remember saying, I'm not blameless. I don't have the position of an elder. I'm not blameless. Far from it. So I thought, well, I'm going to have to dig into this some more. Because clearly there's a meaning of blameless that God intends that I'm not getting. I'm not understanding. So I understand that I'm forgiven and accept that my sins have been forgiven. But I've never been, I really struggle feeling relieved of the guilt and shame of my prior life and my life now. There are times I think, I can't believe I did that. Like, cut me off in traffic, see what happens. Um, you know, I just, I don't know where it comes from, but it does. 
you know. <laughs> Donna, it's, it's funny. She's just like, she says, well, just take a different way home. You know, when someone's in front of you that, the one that really, really upsets me is when you miss a light because the person in front of you is texting. And you've seen my truck. It's tempting. Um, <laughs> you know, that drives me crazy. I'm like, come on, put your phone away and drive your car. You know, just gets me. So anyway, I can, I can accept mentally that God has forgiven me, but I struggle with that whole concept of forgiveness. You know, so what does it mean when God has forgiven me? You know, because I know in human life, right, forgiving someone doesn't mean you trust them. Right? You can forgive someone for your behavior, but that doesn't mean I expect it's going to go away, and I will be careful to watch for it again. You know? So what does it mean for God to forgive us? Does he trust us? Does he believe us? Fortunately, he knows everything about us, so we can't disappoint him. He, he knows what's coming. Um, so, you know, I know I'm not blameless. There's plenty of things that I've done that I could be rightly accused of and responsible for. So I realized I'm going to have to find some other answer to blameless because the one that's rolling around in my head doesn't work. So I found Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. Wow. There is no condemnation. Didn't want to do that. So what is condemnation? Pronounce guilty and sentenced to judgment is the definition of condemnation. And Romans 1 tells us there is now no condemnation for believers. So I believe that the Bible teaches that God is saying to this, to us, I know all the things you have done, and while I will not forget them, I won't sentence you to punishment for them either, because Christ has already satisfied that requirement for punishment. So while God doesn't forget what we've done, he doesn't hold it over us, and he doesn't threaten to remove his grace from us because of it. That's pretty amazing, right? The verse that really helped me through this is uh, Psalm 103, verses 10 through 12. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our guilty deeds. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our wrongdoings from us. God's mercy is so great that he has removed the guilt and shame that has up to that point embraced us. He has taken that weight off of us. It's not like we didn't do it. It's not like we didn't deserve to be punished. But Jesus Christ took that punishment and we're free from it. And we need to embrace that. And I'll be honest with you, it's something I, I struggle with and I pray about it. It's, it's, it's just hard to wrap your head around. Right? All right. So, 
I thought it would be easier to understand this um, if we kind of look a bit at the Greek. So, like I said, we'll get geeky and look at the Greek. Um, so, in this verse, the word blameless is the word, uh, and I'll probably butcher this, anapolimatos, which is a common uh, combination of the Greek prefix a and the words epi and lambano. And so in the context of this, the word epi means against, and the word lambano means to receive or take something into one's possession. Um, and finally, the addition of the prefix a to the beginning of the word has a canceling effect that essentially gives the word an opposite meaning. So the word, uh, if you put epi and lambano together, it forms the word epilemptos, which is a word to describe a person whose character is so wrong that others have lodged a charge or accusation against them. And this could be because of a um, past crime, a sin, bad behavior, etc. has tarnished their reputation. But whatever the case may be, in the minds that know him, that person is guilty. But when you add the prefix a in front of the Greek word, it has a canceling effect. So what that resultant word carries is the idea that if a person truly repents and undergoes a transformation of character, his old sins are irrelevant, regardless of how reproachable or shameless that person once was. That's pretty amazing when you think it doesn't matter how bad you were. He cleanses you the same way as anybody else that's willing to repent and accept forgiveness. It's it's interesting when I talk to people about my conversion and they're like, gosh, I wish I had a story like that. And I'm like, no, you don't. (laughs) No, you don't. You don't want a story like mine. Um, It has its purpose. God works with it. It has its purpose, but you don't want my story. Trust me. Um, I love it when someone says, I came to the Lord at five and I've never known anything else. Amen. Good. Um, And it doesn't matter if you're 60 and you don't know him, you can. And he'll still forgive you the last 60 years and walk you forward from that point forward. My sins are not forgotten, but they are now Irrelevant. We are blameless through the process of true repentance and salvation, which washes the sins of our past from us, and we stand as a new creation before God. We talked about that several messages ago, that we stand before God as a new creation, cleansed of our past. So in a sense, God puts the sins behind him so he doesn't see them when he looks at us. So what does it mean to be blameless? Blameless defines our condition as seen by God. He does not see our sin, but only our cleansed self. So we should strive toward blamelessness. Right? Again, the situation is that we were holy, striving toward holiness. We're blameless, striving for blamelessness. All right. All right. So what's the purpose? What was God's purpose in designing this whole process that he did? So he's pursued his purpose in this that we should be holy and blameless. And the blessings that God has given us has that goal in mind. Right? So when you grow in grace and faith and hope 
enjoy your growing in holiness. You're building that up within you is striving toward holiness as you build and grow. And everything that has come to you from God's hand is a practical gift that you may, by each one, conquer sin, advance in virtue, and perfect your holiness. That process of getting closer and closer to holiness. And to what benefit? Why do we do that? Well, the end result of the process, as we know, is because we're going to spend eternity with the Father. Glorious day. The intermediate result is a process we call sanctification. Sanctification is the process of becoming holy. It's that process that God works with you to make you holier every day. God's desire is that we would be blameless in the world and that he would not find fault with us. Now, it's interesting when we look at the New Testament, the Pharisees thought themselves holy. They thought themselves righteous, right? And that's because they were using the law as the measuring tool. Now, in case you wonder what Jesus thought about the Pharisees, just go read Matthew 23. Um, he picks on them quite a bit. Um, I'm just going to read a part of it. Matthew 23:23 reads, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So the Pharisees were all about following the law, making sure they did every little thing exactly right, but completely missed the whole point of it in that the law was to take care of each other, to show love toward each other, to have compassion toward each other. And the Pharisees had done the opposite. They'd created all these extra rules that people had to follow, and they missed the point of what it means to be holy and blameless. And the, the Pharisees saw there's perfection is this vain ideas about how well they obeyed the law. And we have to realize that we will never be perfect in the flesh. So to claim so is foolishness, just as the Pharisees were foolish. And while we can't be perfect in the flesh, we can become perfected in the flesh. We can work toward that process of being made more holy. So realize that God sees everything we do, every thought we have, everything we think to say, everything we say, everything we do, he sees all of it. So you're not going to pull one over on him. Um, and so really, repentance is about the being honest with yourself, because God already knows what you did. Um, so again, our desire should be to strive toward holiness. And God sees us for who we are in him as we continue to grow in holiness. Uh, Philippians 1, verses 5 and 6 reads, In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work among you will complete it by the day of Christ Jesus. So God is working continually in your life until one of two things happens. Either you die and you go home, or he comes down and it all ends. Now, I don't think I'll be here for the second coming, so I expect it'll be the first way that I go home. Um, 
So I look forward to that process. I get to grow, I get to grow, I get to grow, and I get to go home. Um, so God's purpose of design is that everything that he has done for us was done that we would desire to become holy and blameless in our lives. And finally, the fourth question, what is the evidence of this transformation? Well, when we read verse 4 again, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. So love is the driving force of everything that God does. Our lives as Christ believers need to reflect that goal. Our lives as Christ believers should harm no one. Think of it as God's love is sort of the anointing oil in our relationships. Um, he delivered us of sin from sin so that we should be abounding in love. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 9. Beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. By this, the love of God was revealed in us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we may live through him. Perfect life is perfect love. And, yeah, that's not easy. There are people out there that I do not feel especially loving towards. Right? Um, But I discovered that loving someone as a Christian is about behavior, not about feelings. Feelings kind of ebb and flow. But agape love is, is a direction, a path, a behavior of how we treat people. I learned this a lot in, um, when Don and I were rebuilding our marriage, you know, we were separated for a while, we got back together and started trying to rebuild our marriage, and we really realized that the act of loving was about a consistent behavior in your relationship. Um, and I can tell for the both of us, it was, it was difficult. And there's times that, you know, Donna said, uh, you know, I love you, but I'm not particularly fond of you right now. Um, and so, but God honors that effort to behave correctly. You know, people say, well, you know, you, you fake it till you make it, you know. But the reality is, is that we have to treat people in a loving way, even if we don't feel like it. And one of the things I found out that's really great away is that I can walk away from something versus engaging it. And that for me is tough. I know you find it hard to believe, but I tend to be argumentative. And when someone drops something, I'm ready to pick up that rope. Let's go, you know, and that's not always the best answer. You know, there are situations it's best to say, okay, well, I'll pray for you. Wish you the best and walk away. Um, and it's important that people around you know you as loving. You know, and I have a lot of work to do, I know. Um, grandkids be like, Grandpa's mean today. I'm like, no, Grandpa's tough today. It's different. Um, <laughs> so, if we were incapable of selfishness, we would be perfect in love. But we're not. Right? There are things that we hold too much to ourselves they're ours, and we want to do it that way. In fact, isn't marriage really a great treaty between two people who want to do things their way, right? There are things that we will still do our way, and there are things that we will acquiesce and allow them to do their way. You know, it's like paint. I could care less what color paint the house is. 
So my job is to install paint. Um, <laughs> my wife's job is to pick the color. And so it's her thing, you know. Great. Um, all right. If we're growing in Christ, then we're growing in love. Um, and we should care for all those around us. Um, our hearts should truly ache for those that don't know Jesus. We're in a world today that is in serious hurt. I mean, the things that are going on in the world today, the, you know, the smart ones, if you don't watch the news, uh, but you look at all the stuff that's going on, and it's a world full of hate. Um, and it's the exact opposite of what we had. And the, the, the solution to the problem is conversion, is converting to a world to be Christians the way God intended Christianity to be. And I'm not saying Christians always had it going, don't get me wrong, but I'm saying is that not being a Christian is not going to get you there. Luke 19, 9-10 says, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We should desire to see the lost saved as well. Every time a sinner repents and accepts the Lord Jesus, there is a multitude of angels singing hallelujah in the heavens. Can you imagine? It's got to be a, hopefully a noisy place up there, right? We read in Luke 15.10, In the same way I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over a sinner who repents. And we live in a world today that's incredibly hostile toward Christianity. You know, ever since secular humanism became the established religion of the United States back in the 60s, there's really been a war between that and Christianity because they're directly in conflict with each other. Um, and unfortunately, secular humanism has been brought into the schools and it's, it's, it's anchored and it's, and it's a battle with Christianity all the time. Um, and we have to share Jesus' love in every opportunity, okay? And we do that by our behavior. You know, we put it on our shirts, right? Agape is a verb, right? We have to act loving. Um, right, we, we love this verse. We, I, I hear it read at weddings all the time. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7, it says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked. It does not keep an account of wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, and endure all things. Clearly a tall order. But to me, I look at this and I think to myself, am I patient with those people that I struggle to be patient with. I, my older brother and I disagree. We're, we're about as far extremes of what we believe as you can have. And there's times that it just really frustrates me. Am I patient? You know, do I just share with him the truth and let it go? I tend to want to get into the engagement, and that's not part of it. Is it kind? Do I say things to hurt people on purpose? I used to be very sarcastic. I've always thought if sarcasm was an Olympic sport, I could be coach. Um, but, you know, sarcasm in the Greek means to tear flesh. 
And I use sarcasm as a defensive mechanism because I could disarm you if I could use sarcasm and embarrass you in front of people. Now you're de-armed, disarmed, right? It is not jealous, does not brag. I just tell you, Christianity is a humble religion. We did nothing to earn our place. We have nothing to brag about. We are purely about gratefulness that we are where we are. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. Unselfishness. That's right. Don and I, we don't lend people money. We give people money, and if the money comes back, great. Because, <laughs> you, know, you know, lending creates a responsibility that we don't want to put on people or an expectation we want to put on ourselves. So we just give you the money. If you can give it back to us, that'd be great. We can give it to someone else, but we don't expect money to come back. Um, it is not provoked. That's a tough one for me. You know, <laughs> there are times, literally, I just want to pull off the road and pray because I'm just so torqued by the people I'm driving with. It's just, just drives me. I hate driving, in case anybody wondered. I hate driving. Um, well, I, I hate driving in this. I like driving, like, out in the wilderness, but I hate driving in the city. I just hate it. Um, does not keep account of wrong suffered. Boy, that's something, huh? Do you really let it go? You know, one time Donna's like, she, well, that's the second time you did that. And I'd be like, okay, I'll bite. When was the first time? Eight years ago, we were at Susie's party. She had that plaid jumper on. I'm thinking, who is Susie? You know? <laughs> she does. She has the memory of an elephant. It's amazing. Um, do we rejoice in righteousness? Do we rejoice in the truth? And I tell people, it's what the Bible says, and I'm grateful that's what it says. I'm sorry you don't agree with it. I make it clear to people, my start is this. So when people say, well, I don't believe in the Bible, I said, then we're done. Because there's no way we're going to agree when your source of whatever is not the same as my source. Right? Because this is what I consider truth, and if it says it in here, it is. It's that simple. You know, the main reason we're going through the study that we're going in the men's group right now is because you have to believe this is the truth. And you have to stand to it because we have a world that's fighting against this book every single day. All right. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, that's a tall order, but it's a goal, right? So we have to show agape to the world. We have to pray for people, smile at people. That really throws people off. They think you're up to something. Don't argue with people. Show compassion. You know, I think one of the biggest issues I see today with this whole transgender thing, I'm not talking about the plastic surgeons and the endocrinologists. I'm talking about children that are truly struggling with this, is that we have to be compassionate. We have to be heartfelt. I disagree with some of the medical processes, but as far as that person and their struggle, we have to be compassionate. So the evidence of our transformation is that we would love one another as God loves us. So finally, in closing, how did our blessings come to us? Only by the love and grace of God. What does it mean to be holy? God is a perfect model of holiness. We are declared holy, and we should strive for holiness. What does it mean to be blameless? Blameless defines our condition as seen by God, 
He does not see our sin, but only a cleansed us, so we should strive toward blamelessness. What is God's purpose and design? Everything he has done was done that would that we would desire to become holy and blameless in our lives. And what is the evidence of this transformation? That we would 